Would you turn to your neighbor this morning, greet each other, just say hello as we continue this morning.
sound great. We are alive and well because of Jesus Christ this morning. As we continue worshiping, just knowing what we believe, we believe in God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. They are three in one. And this is what we believe. And as we sing this next song, let's remember who Jesus is.
and welcome to Crossroads. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Uh, this beautiful sunny day, I tell you what, you know, when it's 70 degrees out, we all seem to be a little happier. I have to tell you, la- uh, yesterday, I, my wife has a dog. Notice it's her dog, right? Our house, her dog. She, we got this dog, and it's a 15-pound little Havanese. She thinks it's adorable. Anyhow, so uh, I, I said, I'll take the dog for a walk. So I went down to South Park, and I said, we'll go for a walk. It's a four-mile walk. You know, if you start from one end, go all the way to the other end. So I, I got on, and I'm doing pretty good, and I'm, and I'm coming back. I get to mile three, and all of a sudden, my dog does no longer cooperate, all right? He lays down, and I'm like, great. She's not here. I don't know what to do with this dog, right? So I had to pick up the dog and walk a dog for the last mile, if you can believe that, all right? So the moral of the story is walk without your dog, all right? Enjoy the weather. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, welcome to Crossroads. Our, our mission here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for your part. You've been actively growing in Christ. God is moving. God is doing great things in our church. And I want to thank you. If you are a guest, we'd like to welcome you here this morning. If, uh, if you haven't stopped by our Welcome Center yet, please stop by our Welcome Center. We have a gift to welcome you here today. At this time, please pass the friendship folders down the aisle as I share just a few announcements. And uh, the announcements that I have this morning are all around Easter. We have, uh, we have uh, great opportunities. You know, uh, we're bringing people to Jesus all the time. That's our mission here. And people are bringing people all the time to Christ. Um, but here's a few extra opportunities. We're going to do a helicopter egg drop. And it's just that, a helicopter. We've hired a helicopter pilot. He's coming down, and they're going to drop off 20,000 eggs out here, if you can believe that now. We, we had to double it because we have so many people are signing up. 20,000 Easter eggs outside on the field. And so we, we have more than 500 kids that have already signed up. Isn't that awesome? So let's give God a hand for that. That's wonderful. It'll probably be 600 by tomorrow morning. It, it just keeps growing. And so uh, these, these flyers are laying around the church. They may be in a seat near you. If not, they're on the, uh, on the tables in the foyer. Please grab one. You have to pre-register for your child to come, and, uh, and they have to be accompanied by a parent. But uh, what, what this means, folks, is that we're going to need a lot of help, all right? So we're, we're going to be capping it, uh, you know, very shortly. We, you know, that registration won't be up much longer, I'm sure. But uh, we have a parking issue, okay? So we've already talked to Mineral Beach. Mineral Beach will be our overflow parking lot, and we're going to have a shuttle to bring people up for that. Isn't that exciting? So uh, what that means is we need your help. We need about 40 people to effectively help us. We want people to be kind. We want people to help direct traffic. We need people, if you can put on a shirt that says crew and stand there and be kind and welcome people and say hi, don't cross that line, okay? Crowd control. We need people for crowd control uh, because uh, the, the, the helicopter will not fly over any people, okay? It'd be up high at that point as he's coming in. The children will be far removed from there, and uh, we we just we want we need help. So we need about 40 people. If you can help us with this, please stop by our table in the back of the auditorium. Somebody will be there after the service, and you can sign up to help. Leave your name and your phone number, and we will we will help. Uh, we will show you what we need done, and uh, it, that is going to be an exciting day. I'm more excited than anybody. All right, a helicopter, folks, with Easter eggs. What could be better, right? So that's coming up here in, uh, in just a few weeks. So I, I ask you to pray about this. I'm asking God to give us 10 or 20 new families. Wouldn't that be exciting? Just from events like this. And then we're going to go into Easter week. So this is, a, that's, a, that's Saturday, April the 8th. Then we go into Palm Sunday. And then after Palm Sunday, we'll have on Thursday and Good Friday, April 13th and 14th uh, at 7 p.m. We're going to have an event here called Journey to the Cross. And our people will be putting on a drama that will, that will take you on the, the last week of Jesus, a journey to the cross of Christ. So I want to encourage you to, to be here and to plan to fill the seat next to you. Just bring somebody who needs Jesus. If you invite them, they will come. I keep saying that, and people are saying, you're right. I've invited my friend, and they came. I have a, several people on Saturday night that said, you said to invite my friend. I didn't think they would come. I invited them, and now they're here. And they keep coming. And God is, that's how God works. God will use you. God doesn't, you know, helicopters don't bring people to Jesus. 
people bring people to Jesus. So I want to encourage you, take advantage of these opportunities, and let's go out and, and do it. And then, of course, we're going to have Easter Sunday. That weekend is going to be wonderful. We'll have Easter Saturday at 6, and then we'll have Sunday at 9.30 and 11. And I, I just want to encourage you to uh, invite somebody because these are the days more than more than usual. Okay, People come anytime you invite them, but especially at Easter, people are prone and looking for opportunities to, to get connected to God, and you have a connection to God. So I'm glad that you're able to share that, all right? God bless you, our church, and let's pray as we move forward. Um, so please stop by at the table to sign up for, for to help us with, with the helicopter egg drop. You know, the church is growing right now. We need help in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry. If you say, I'd like to come and get on board, I'd, li- I'd like, how can you use me? Would you please stop by that table? We need people help in the nursery. We have, we have good problems. There's babies coming out the woodwork. It's wonderful. Something's in the water around here. I don't know what's going on, but I know what it is. It's young people. And when young people get start families, they have babies, and, and God's just doing some great things in our church. So I want to encourage you. Uh, we need people. If, if you could come one service and serve the other. Maybe you could come. You're here at 11. Maybe you could come at 930 and serve, and then come to the service. Uh, please stop by the table. Let them know that they'll help you. And then, then they, uh, they'll help you find those places, all right? And then the other thing tonight, uh, this morning, is that uh, there's a women's retreat coming up. That deadline is April 2nd. That is quickly approaching. There, you can sign up at the table t- uh, this morning in the back. You can go directly online and sign up. It's going to be a great weekend. They have uh, Monica Brennan. She, she's an author of a book, wonderfully, marvelously made. And uh, she's a, a, a professor at Liberty University. And I think that means you're smart, I guess. I don't know. But anyhow, so she'll be there. And I think just an encouraging time for our ladies to get away at Ogilvy. Um, that's coming up here in May. But you have to sign up by April 2nd for reservations. All right? This time, I'd like to receive our morning offering as our ushers come forward. Aren't you excited about all that God's doing here? What a great God. Let's give our God a hand this morning. He's awesome. Awesome, man. Just, uh, just one. We had a wonderful Saturday night. God's blessing. Saturday night is growing. Sunday mornings, both of our services, and uh, these are great things. And so, as as we experience the growth, we need more people that will step up and serve. So, pray about your part uh, all over the church, all over the church. Right? If you're our guest this morning, please let this offering pass you by. Let the plate pass you by this morning. This is for those that are regular and growing in the grace of giving. All right? Let's go to the Lord, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you, and I thank you for all that you're doing in this place, God. You are an awesome God. Thank you, Lord. When we think of 500 kids already signed up, only you could do that, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we think of Thursday and Good Friday, we're trusting you to fill this place so that people can find you. Only you could do that, Lord. For Easter Sunday, uh, God, just we, we're coming to you. Only you can do these things. Thank you for using us, your vessels, Lord, that, that you would just trust us. You trust us to bring people to you, and we thank you for that awesome opportunity. Lord, as we give to you now, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to bless your name. In your name we pray. Amen.
God, I just ask that you would just continue to allow us to see how amazing you are, allow us to see what a treasure that you are. God, we are so glad to be here today, Lord, with people that just love you, Lord, but, but love each other, and it just it fills this room, Lord God. We look forward to coming every week to hear from your word. And we ask, Lord, that as Ken comes, Lord, that you will just um, anoint him with the, with the thoughts and ideas and, and, and um, things that you've given him this morning from your word, the living word. And so we thank you for that. As we continue just praising your name this morning, we want to give you all the glory because you're worthy because of what you did for us on that cross, Lord. We praise you. We love you. Amen. You can be seated, please. We've started a new series entitled Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind. Where everywhere that Jesus went, he interacted with people. People were on his mind. He had a mission. God gave him a mission. God the Father gave him a mission to come to the earth and to free us from our sin. But everywhere that he went while he was here, he interacted with people. So we're going to talk about those encounters. We started out last week talking about a guy named Nathaniel. He was in John chapter 1, and Nathaniel was a skeptic. And, and I shared with you last week how that Jesus handled him as a skeptic. He was very kind. He was very compassionate, and, uh, and he, he, he enjoyed the journey with him. And, and he, he basically says, skeptics are welcome. And I want to encourage you this morning that skeptics are welcome. It's not something that maybe a skeptic doesn't, doesn't figure everything out in a, a day. It could be several months to several years. Skeptics are welcome here, and I want to encourage you with that this morning. But as we continue on today, we're going to, we're going to continue on uh, looking at another encounter. This encounter was, uh, is kind of one that you, you may be familiar with, but uh, we're going to look at it and just, just bring some, some thoughts out about the encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And uh, John chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, or you can look up on the screen. It'll be on the screen here. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, you know, I've read this passage for years, and I, I've kind of just, you kind of brush over some of these things. Uh, there, there's a, a real important key word here. He says that Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a, a, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the ruling party. Uh, and, and, you know, I've always went down to John 3.16 because it's the most famous verse in all the Bible, John chapter 3.16. But John chapter 3 verse 1 gives us some really important thoughts for us to understand about this interaction that Jesus and Nicodemus had. Uh, this was a close encounter. This was the God of the universe, Jesus. He has an, a close encounter with a man named Nicodemus. But let's understand a little bit about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. When you hear the word Pharisee, if, uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with the Pharisees at all, you typically think of a, a nemesis. You think of an antagonist. You think of the, the enemy, right? Uh, they were the enemies of Jesus as we know them. But I, I want you to understand a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were, they were known for their extreme adherence to the Mosaic law. There were 600 laws that they were enforcing. They studied the law. They knew the law. They enforced 600 laws. And on top of that, they came up with another 39 laws. 39 laws just for the Sabbath day. This is what you should do on the day of rest. And they actually turned that day of rest into a, day, a religious day of work, all right? Um, so so they, they had all these laws. And uh, one, one of the things that they took great value in was, was ceremonial cleansing, ceremonial washing. And ju just to illustrate uh, this morning... Uh, about how that how that they how that he dealt with um, with that just to illustrate this morning how that they were how the Pharisees interacted here's here's a, a quote from a guy named Alfred Erdershein he was a Jewish convert to Christianity and uh, and, and a biblical scholar back in the 1800s this is what he says this morning about about how they interacted with this whole water thing. It says, Water jars were kept ready to be used before every meal. The minimum amount of water to be used was a quarter of a log, defined as enough to fill one and a half eggshells. Now, could you imagine that? One and a half eggshells. Talk about tedious. Talk about following the law, right? Uh, the, the water was first poured on both hands, with fingers pointing upward. 
and the water must run through the arms as far as the wrist. It must drop off from the wrist, for the water was now itself unclean. Having touched the unclean hands, and if it ran down the fingers again, so in other words, if the water, so you had to wash and the water would come down, and if the water would run back down the hands, it would render the hand unclean because the water was now unclean because it had washed the hand. The proce- this process was repeated with hands held in the opposite direction with the fingers pointing down. And then finally, each hand was cleansed by being rubbed with the, first, uh, with the fist of each other. And a very strict Jew would do all of this, not only before a meal, but also between each course. Um, th- this, is, this is how that they would operate. So these, these Pharisees, they were that serious about the law. They, they were good people. They were very intent, but they were very legalistic. And, you know, wash your hands, and if the water goes down... Fine, but if a little bit of that water went back up, you got to repeat the whole process. And they were very into it was into legalism. And d- despite their tedious legalism, though, they were known for their good works. They were the people. People respected the Pharisees. They were well respected in the community because they had uh, they had earned the respect of their community through kindness and generosity. They would make an impact on the poor. They would feed the poor. They were they had an impact on local communities. So the the other thing was that this 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 Pharisees they would have this interaction. But there was another group. It says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the ruling party. Uh, there was a group called the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a group of 70 elder statesmen. These were Pharisees. They were the wisest of the Pharisees. Uh, it was like a combination of the Supreme Court, the Vatican, and Parliament all in one, okay? Uh, you know, when we think of the Supreme Court in our land, we think of seven people. We think of this, this high court, and, and they're almost untouchable, and they're, they're really not interacting with anybody, but they set some of the laws of the land. Well, the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. Seventy men like that. Elder statesmen. They knew the law in and out. They were the best of the best. Uh, This was a key place of influence too. Rome. Israel was under the Roman uh, persecution. They were under the rule of Rome at this point. And so so anytime that any, any uprisings would happen, Rome would come in and slap the hands. But here's, what, here's an interesting thing. They let the Sanhedrin run the country of Israel. It was under the rule and reign of Rome, but they said, all right, we understand that those Jews over there, they worship one God and he's invisible. How can that hurt us? And Because it was in a day of, uh, of polytheism where people believed in all kind of gods. And, and so they said, we'll just let that Sanhedrin... We'll create the Sanhedrin and we'll let them rule. So they will be the rulers of Israel and we'll let them rule according to their Jewish customs. They can do whatever they want as long as they keep peace and they don't, there's no uprising. And if there's an uprising, Rome would come in and Rome would take power off the Sanhedrin. Uh, Rome, uh, you know, the, the Sanhedrin, they were paid very well. It was, a, it was a high position of authority, but it was power. It was a position of power. This was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of those 70 men. And so this guy, he comes to Jesus by night. Let's look here. uh, The next verse here, John chapter 3, verse 2. This man, Jesus, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, that you have come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He comes to him at night. John had just shared with us over in John chapter 1 and John's opening remarks. Now remember, John is an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. What does he say? He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was the light. Nicodemus is coming to him at night. Look at the contrast there. Isn't it something how John has given us these little details that just get you to think about, wow, Jesus is the light and in the darkness. Nicodemus comes up to the door of Jesus. I've got a question for you. Now, let me tell you what Nicodemus was doing here. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. He respects him. 
He comes to them at night. We don't know exactly why he came at night, but we do know this, that if he would have got them in the daytime, he would risk the other 69 members of the Sanhedrin wondering, Nicodemus, what are you doing following this man? What are you doing interacting with this man? Because Jesus had created a following. Jesus went and he was healing people. people. There were crowds everywhere he went. And the word was getting out about the miraculous wonders and signs that Jesus did. And then the word was starting to trickle out that he's the Messiah. He is the long-awaited anointed one. And the Messiah to all the Sanhedrin, to all the religious leaders, to all the Pharisees, they interpreted Messiah as he'll be the king. He'll be the king of Israel. That means that he will free, if this is the Messiah, that means that he will free us from Roman oppression. And this is, this is where we're going to be sitting. And, and so the crowd, the crowd was starting to roar under the thought of the Messiah has come. If this Jesus is the Messiah, then it is the long-awaited and he has come in our lifetime. Wow, this is super exciting. But not if you're on the Sanhedrin. This is not super exciting if you're a Pharisee because what does that mean to them? All their power will be gone. Uh, They'll be stripped of of, of everything they've been taught and, uh, and they would have to surrender to the new king, right? But more than that, they were skeptical. They said, nobody can be the Messiah for the Messiah has come from God. And notice what what he says here. He comes, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He recognizes there's something different about you, Jesus. There's something about you. We, we, we know that no one can do these signs and wonders unless God is with him. And the Messiah had something much larger in mind than to win. Uh, the, the true Messiah, Jesus here, he has something much larger in mind than to come and free Israel from Rome. You see, you look on the map. If you go on the map and you see how small the land mass of Israel is, and if that were the whole mission of the Messiah, were to free that little land mass, smaller than the state of New Jersey, I believe, if you were to go over and free that little land mass, that'd be a real small mission, wouldn't it? Jesus came with a mission to free every human being that ever lived. His mission was greater than anything, than any political endeavor, greater than any, any politics anywhere, than any government. And so, the, but these nearsighted, they were, the, the Jewish people, they were nearsighted at this point, and especially on the Sanhedrin, they're saying, All right, we're not sure, and if he is the Messiah, if he's not, he's blaspheming, and if he is, oh, this is a bad situation. And so he comes to him by night, and he starts the discussion. And Jesus answers him, and he kind of bypasses the whole question. You see, when he said in John, chapter two, uh, in John 3, 2, he says that the man, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's basically saying, are you the Messiah? Are, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus answers him, and, and he doesn't answer the, the question. Jesus answered him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus wasn't coming and saying, who, uh, How can I get into the kingdom of God? Because Nicodemus thought that issue was settled. Nicodemus, for Nicodemus, that issue was settled. He's coming, he's saying, I want to be a part of... Uh, I I want to find out, are you part of the kingdom of God? Are you the Messiah? What's going on? Who are you? So he's coming in and he's inquiring who he is. And what does Jesus do? He answers and takes a different route. You ever done that with somebody? Somebody asks you something, you know? You know, like, uh, how was the day? And you you go some other direction. That's what Jesus did. He took him another direction because he, he knew, Jesus knew, that their perception, their worldview of the Messiah was very small. And Jesus is about to show them that he's much bigger than they could imagine, that he's much more grander than, than, than Nicodemus. This conversation is getting big. So look how Nicodemus responds, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How, in, in other words, he, he says, listen, I understand. Nicodemus, he comes to the question and says, what do you mean born? He, you know, truly, truly, I said unto you that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. 
You won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then he says to him, and Nicodemus replies, what do you mean born again? How can you be born? Let me give you a little background. All the Jews, they believed the way into the kingdom of God was their birthright. They believed just by being born a Jew, they were part of God's chosen people. That, and that, this was the special relationship that God had with the country of Israel. So they believed if I was just born a Jew, I'm part of the kingdom of God. And if a Gentile, they had provision for a Gentile to become a, a convert, they could convert over to Judaism. And so the way that that would happen is that they would study, they would have to go through a course of study and, and memorize, uh, uh, you know, five books of the Bible and go through all this study. And, uh, and it was really hard. And then they would go through a ceremonial cleansing. And then to make it harder on top of that, they would tell all the men that they had to be circumcised to become a, a, Jew, a part of Judaism. Now, you want to talk about a great way to keep people out, you know? Just tell these men, <laughs> 30 years old, you've got to be circumcised to come to our church, right? Uh, that, that, was, that was, listen, they, in other words, they were banking so much on birthright, and if it wasn't birthright, it was just by being good. If we follow the law. So when Nicodemus responds, he goes, Jesus, can, can we really be born again when I'm old? And so he's throwing him back into Jesus' court. Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb? And just picture Jesus grinning. Jesus is looking at him. Remember, this is a discussion at night. And Jesus looks at him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of water and that which is born of the Spirit. So he's talking about two births. He says, if you were born of water, some people think that that was baptism. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying water, a flesh, like, like somebody's born a baby. We have two daughters, 19 and 21 years old now. I can't believe that. Man, where'd the time go? I'll never forget taking my wife to the hospital. And we get in there. And you're like, are we getting close? And they're like, yeah. She broke her water. And I'm like, oh, please tell me no more. You know? Just tell me when that baby's done, when we're here. I want to take that baby home. And, and, you know, born of water. Do you see it? Born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, I can look at every one of you and I can tell something. I can tell a few things about you. But I, can, I know this. Every one of you were born of water. I know that, okay? Uh, and that I'm, you can thank me for my highly scientific uh, uh, look on you this morning, right? Every one of you were born. But what I cannot tell is if you were born of the Spirit of God. I cannot tell if you have been born into God's family. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you were born of water, but you don't go to your mom's womb again and come out. You know that, Nicodemus. What are you thinking? Nicodemus, you've got to be born of God. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spiritual is spiritual. And then he says, do not marvel. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that I told you you must be born again. Nicodemus, you above all people, you're on the Sanhedrin. You've been studying God's word all of your life. Don't be surprised that I told you there's a spiritual element. Don't be surprised that it's not by your birthright. Don't be surprised because all the Old Testament points to me. That's what he's telling them. Verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, uh, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know when the wind has been involved. You, you, nobody can see the wind but we can all see the power of the wind. Uh, several weeks ago, we had that vicious windstorm whip through. Uh, my neighbor had a tree come down and fell on the gutter line, fell, fell against her gutter. Uh, we didn't see the wind, but we saw the tree that come down. We know, the, we know that it is. He says, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I cannot tell if you have been born of the Spirit. I can't see that, not just by looking at you. 
But I can see what God's doing in your life. I can see the effects of the Spirit of God. I can see, you can see that in your life. You can look in your life and say, wow, I have this connection to God. I see Him moving. I see Him giving me peace. I see, I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. With all the education and all the knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, Nicodemus responds with astonishment. He says, verse 9, how can these things be? How can this be? And I wonder if he's really saying here, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? How is it that I have studied God's Word all my life and I missed that it's not my birthright? And I missed that it's God. And I missed that the Messiah would come. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? You're, you're a great esteemed person, and you don't understand these? You know, the, you know, my, you know the, the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He tells, he's, he's telling them about the wind. He's telling them about being born of, of water and then being born of God. He says, if I tell you these things and you don't believe, um, how can I tell you more? How can I get into the deep heavenly things with you? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And what he says here, he says, he's telling him, I'm the Messiah. And because, because Nicodemus came to him and said, we know that God sent you. But now Jesus steps it up. He says, I'm the one who came from heaven. I came from heaven. The son of man, I came from heaven. And he's like, literally? You came from heaven? And so, so Nicodemus is taken back. Nicodemus um, it, it could, you know, it's kind of exciting here because Nicodemus could have hidden behind all of his knowledge. He could have ran away from the discussion, but he stays in there with the light. The light is on in the darkness. And the light is shining bright. And sometimes when the light is so bright in the darkness, it's blinding. You ever do that? You know, you get up in the middle of the night and turn the light on. It's like, whoa, that just hurts. And this is where Nicodemus is. It's like, whoa, this just hurts. This is a whole lot. All my life, I have been taught that my birthright was my right into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, you're telling me that my way into heaven, my way into the kingdom of God is to be born of the Spirit. And now you're telling me that you came from heaven. Wow. So Moses, uh, so, so he goes on to tell him about Moses. Jesus here, he grabs in, he says, all right, Nicodemus, he didn't catch it about the water, being born, born twice. Uh, he, he didn't catch it about the wind. So he, he reaches in, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him something very familiar. And every Jew would have known about this. He says, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... What this was, was that he was referring to Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 through 9, where the children of Israel, they were wandering in the, in, in the, in the desert for 40 years, and they go into, a, into an area where there are thousands of poisonous snakes. And the, and the snakes are biting the people, and before they know it, they're losing hundreds of people. And God told Moses, God said to Moses, I want you to craft a bronze snake, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to hold it up high, and tell everybody that if they've been bitten by a snake, all they have to do is look at that bronze pole, and they'll be healed. They look at that bronze snake, and they'll be healed. And Jesus says, just as Moses, just like Moses did that, as Moses did that with the serpent in the wilderness, in the same way, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is thrown for a loop now because there's two things here. Number one, he says that the, he says just as, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. A man who was lifted up on a pole was a man that was sentenced to death. He's revealing to Nicodemus, I am the Messiah. I have come from heaven. And just as the serpent was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a pole. Everybody knew the Roman crucifixions. They happened regularly. It was not something that Jesus only did. 
I, if you go and read about Roman crucifixions, you'll see that the, it was a weekly thing that happened. It was brutal. It's a horrible way to die. And he says, a man lifted on a pole. He says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so he's taking that, that same analogy, just like the serpent, and he says that, who, that all who believe will have an eternal life. Now Nicodemus is thrown for a loop. Nicodemus says, man, everything that I've just learned about God, everything I've been taught and everything that I have taught all my life is no longer valid. And here's what he says. He equates uh, belief or trust with eternal life. He equates belief or trust with eternal life. He says, listen, you've got to trust Jesus. You get to trust the man who's going to die on the cross. That is me. And he reveals himself. He, he was foretelling that he would be the one that would die. And so, so everything has changed for, for, uh, for Nicodemus. His whole life has changed. And so if this is true, Nicodemus has a decision to make. And so Nicodemus is going and saying, is this true or not? I came here looking for the Messiah. And this man first tells me about the kingdom of God. And now I'm walking out of here knowing that he is the Messiah. And not only is he the Messiah, but the Messiah will die. And that doesn't match his theology. They were looking for a man to be high and mighty like David and Solomon. And he says, if that is true, there's something has to change inside of me. And so Nicodemus, he continues in the conversation. Jesus continues the conversation. And now we get to the most famous verse in all the Bible where Jesus tells Nicodemus, and this blows the mind of Nicodemus. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son. And, and this, was, this was nothing less than revolutionary for, for Nicodemus. Somebody once said that there are seven wonders in John 3.16, in the book of John, there are seven wonders. You talk about the seven wonders of the world? Well, I'm going to give you this morning seven wonders, all from one verse, John 3.16. You ready? For God, he's the almighty authority. There we go, the wonder, wonder number one. He's the almighty authority. So if you have a Bible, maybe you want to circle that word, for God. There's, there's wonder number one, the almighty authority. So loved the world. He had the greatest motive the mightiest motive in all the world, that he gave his only begotten son. There's the third wonder, the greatest gift, that he gave his son. God himself gave his son, the greatest gift in all the world, that whoever, it's the widest welcome. There's another wonder right there, that the widest welcome. Do you realize that the Jews were not thinking about the whole world coming to God? They were thinking of that that was us. They're thinking of their nation and their birthright, and this is who we are. We are God's people. They were not thinking about God's global plan. Jesus tells them, and this is the first time it ever entered Nicodemus's mind, that the whole world might come to God. That whoever, the widest welcome, believes in him, there is the easiest escape. He doesn't say that whoever does the law and does it well, Whoever keeps five of the Ten Commandments? Who keeps nine of the Ten Commandments? No, he says that whoever believes in him. It's the word trust. He says whoever's trusting in him, the man on the cross, should not perish. There's divine deliverance. If we get what we deserve, we go to hell, the Bible says. But Jesus came so that we don't have to go there. Uh, if you, you know, in our life today, you are separated from God in your daily walk if, if you don't have a relationship with him. That's a small taste of eternity. Uh, God wants you to have this relationship with him so that you might have life. The divine deliverance should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's the seventh wonder. It's the priceless possession. And Jesus did all that for you. John 3, 16, the greatest verse in all the Bible. And then we don't see much about Nicodemus after this discussion. 
you don't really hear a whole lot about them. You flip over to John chapter 7, you'll see that they were trying to arrest Jesus and it really wasn't time, it wasn't in God's timing yet. And Nicodemus stands up before the Sanhedrin and says, whoa, 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 does not our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Whoa, slow this thing down. We don't hear anything else about Nicodemus until Jesus dies. That close encounter, Jesus changed his life. But did he go home right away and the lights were on? No, I think that Nicodemus left and the lights were so bright it hurt his eyes. The the, the light of, of the truth of God. And so he left there and he realized that, man, God's grace is in Jesus. And he started a journey and then he was present. He was in the crowd when Jesus died. And I want you to imagine Nicodemus, after he'd been told this by Jesus, he's in the crowd when Jesus died, and, and he starts to remember these verses that he had been schooled in. He, was, he learned these verses from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Here's Nicodemus in the crowd. He sees the man on the pole, on the cross. He's lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent and he says he was despised and rejected. Oh, these were the verses that gave rabbis all trouble. They didn't know what to do with them. It was, Nicodemus was watching it come to life. As for one, uh, and uh, he was acquainted with grief and as for one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Nicodemus is standing in the crowd watching as the iniquity of us all is laid on the man on the pole on the cross. And Nicodemus, it finally clicks. This is the Messiah. I've got my answer. He told me that he was going to have to die. He told me that he came from heaven. He told me that he would have to die. It didn't make sense, and now it's all clicking. And Jesus dies on the cross. You know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Those 12 followers, they scattered. They ran. They were fearing for their life. Jesus died on the cross. And a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, he comes in John 19, 38. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body on a Roman crucifixion. Here's what would normally happen. The person would die, and he'd be left on that cross for days. Birds would be picking at him. It was the ultimate humiliation. So he, they would know that he's dead and leave him up there for days. And then they would take him down and they would throw the body, not even give him a proper burial. They would just throw the bodies in a dump. Our Lord was on a cross and he was dead for six hours. Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, could I have the body? And that on occasion, that would be allowed, but it had to be requested So he gets permission, and they give him the body. And then in verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 70 pounds, 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus comes with Joseph of Arimathea, leaves the Sanhedrin, and comes to follow. He's part of following the way now. He's a follower of Christ. The Messiah has died. And he comes and he brings to help him bury him. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And you know what he did? He did what the disciples didn't. He became public in his following of Christ. The disciples, they were fleeing, they were hiding. And now Nicodemus, God had told him, and he comes and he's wrapping the body of Jesus. I want to share this with you. Here's what happened with Nicodemus. He learned that eternal life is a gift, not a reward. 
All your life, you have probably been taught by our culture that eternal life is a reward. We have been taught by so many things that eternal life is a reward and that everything of God is a reward. The better you are, the better your life will be, and better, 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 better. And God says, better nothing. I'm taking care of it on the cross. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I invite you to Jesus. Are you tired of religion? Are you tired of trying to do better? May I invite you to the foot of the cross of Christ? Will you look to him this morning, the man on the cross? Will you look to the man on the pole who was sentenced to death for you? Will you look to him and trust him this morning? And if that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I'm here and I'm ready to trust Jesus. I want to encourage you just to open your heart to God and just pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. You came, you died on the cross, you paid for my sin. And I trust you right now. I trust you with my life. I'm looking to the cross this morning, God. And I trust you. I believe. Father God, be with each person in this room. Be with those that just open their hearts to Jesus. Lord, be with every Christian in here. Lord, many times as Christians, we forget. We walk away from the cross and we try to do life on our own. God, help us to come back to the cross to stop trying so hard and to start trusting you for every day life. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? Jesus, I